You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hello, and welcome to Mapping the College Audition, a podcast where we explore the landscape of the college theater world and try to demystify this daunting audition process. I'm your host, Charlie Murphy, director of MTCA, that's Musical Theater College Auditions, and today we have got a blue-purple tartan kind of show lined up for you. Michael McElroy from the University of Michigan is on the show today. Uh, Michael has been kind enough to teach master classes for MTCA for the past few years and is also a real-life friend of Leo, our other director. Uh, Leo and I always remark how odd it is to be the age of some of these faculty members. Um, it truly feels like only yesterday, and certainly when I started doing this, like we were basically the age of our students. We were just like slightly older, cool mentors, and now we're like contemporaries with a lot of these program heads, and that is just crazy how time flies. It's, it's like when uh, all of our parents tell me like, oh, you'll blink and Solvi will be 17. I'm like, I don't believe you, and yet I know what you're saying is true. Um, things are good over here. Uh, we just completed a really successful New York City Unifieds. Um, at MTCA, we run a, a green room a few blocks away from all the action um, near Pearl and Ripley, so we're a couple blocks away. Um, but we got to hang out with a lot of the students and parents between auditions, uh, and it was just so great, as it always is, to hear all the fantastic stories, you know, try to navigate the ups and downs of the auditions with our students. And there was even a few Solvay sightings in the green room, which was super fun. Um, and, you know, the big takeaway from the weekend is it really and truly felt like we were back after a crazy year last year of mixed in-person and online unifieds. Um, you could really feel the excitement of like uninterru- uninterrupted in-person energy. Uh, and the magic of unifieds can kind of do its thing then, right? You know, you have those excellent appointments and you have those surprising walk-ins and you can kind of build up momentum. Um I also got a lot of compliments on the podcast uh, from a lot of our students who said they listened to the school they were auditioning for right before they auditioned, which was very touching to me since that was one of the visions um, for how I thought the podcast could be useful when I was dreaming of it all those many years ago now. It's like six, seven years ago I really started thinking about this. Um, And by the way, one of our students asked if it was okay to share the podcast with non-MTCA friends, to which of course I say yes. This podcast is intended for all students, 
whether or not they're privileged enough to be able to have resources to work with a company like MTCA or not, uh, or even if they're foolish enough to use those resources with a different educational company, you are all welcome. Please tell your friends, tell your enemies, we're educating the whole world here. Um, to those of you who are in the middle of your auditions as you listen to this, I'm gonna send you all of my love, um, and if you want it, a little mantra, a little audition mantra. So if you don't want to hear me get cheesy and inspirational, feel free to hit that like 30 second skip button. You might have hit about twice. I'll bet it's about, be about a minute mantra. But this, for any of you who maybe are about to walk into an audition, have auditions in the next week, couple weeks, depending uh, as you're listening to this, um, here is my wish slash prayer slash mantra for all of you. And feel free to like close your eyes if you're the kind of person who would close your eyes and wish this all for yourself as I'm saying it. I wish that you all vulnerably reveal your best and truest, most authentic selves in all of these auditions. I wish for you to share your joy of this art form with these fellow artists strangers. May you have a unique experience that is new, thrilling, and fun. I wish for you to discover something new in each audition, to challenge yourself to release your control of the experience and let it give way to spontaneity, creativity, and new possibilities. I wish for you all to let down your walls of protection a bit more with each audition, to let yourself be seen exactly as you are, naked with blemishes and all, to be messy and imperfect and open. I wish for you all to be truly present in your auditions, to live moment to moment in your work and in your process, bringing your presentness to bear as an active practice. And lastly, I wish for you all to trust in the work that you did to get to this point. Your work and your play continues, but please trust that you have done what you needed to get yourself where you are here in this moment and that it was enough. You will be such a great asset to the right program, exactly how you are right now. You are enough. Okay, and please open your eyes if you've been like walking through traffic. Um, I hope you survived the experience. Um, and with that, we'll get to the interview with the great Michael McElroy from the University of Michigan. Well, we are honored to be joined today by Michael McElroy of the University of Michigan. Uh, Michael has a BFA from Carnegie Mellon University. Uh, he's in, been on Broadway in tons of shows. I'm just going to name a few, like The Wild Party, Big River, got a Tony nomination for that, Next to Normal, Sunny in the Park with George, etc. Um, he's also a vocal arranger uh, for Broadway, off-Broadway shows. He's the founder of Broadway Inspirational Voices, um, and he also taught at NYU for many years before becoming the chair of musical theater at the University of Michigan, which we will all remember is located in Ann Arbor, Michigan. They take about 20 to 22 musical theater students. They offer BFAs in MT, dance, acting, and a BTA in theater. Michael, welcome on the show. How are you feeling today? I'm great. Thank you for having me. We're so excited. Of course, many of our, our listeners will listen to our episode with Mark Badama, where we did some of the more kind of granular questions about Michigan. So this is going to get a chance to be a little bit of an update and hopefully a, a deeper and more kind of qualitative conversation about Michigan as well. Um, before we dive into that, though, I gave that super brief bio of you, but you've had, you know, this fascinating multi-hyphenate career. I'd love to hear mm -hmm. a little bit about your journey of, of how you did find yourself here in Michigan. 
Well, um, you know, it really does speak to the fact that uh, that uh, connections to people last a lifetime. Um, the previous chair uh, was Vince Cardinal, and Vince uh, put me in my first musical when I was 15 years old at, hmm. at Shaker Heights High School in Ohio. Um, and, I, and I always say this, I was very fortunate to come up at a time where arts education was considered a valued and essential part of uh, educating young people. Uh, and so I, went, I grew up at a high school where we had a wonderful theater, choral, dance, art department. Uh, and uh, my very first musical was in 10th grade and it was Runaways and Vince was a student teacher and he directed me in that and really um, laid the groundwork, the foundation for how I look at what it means to be an artist, uh, work ethic, um, commitment, uh, accountability, uh, consistency, all of these things that became like the foundation for how you create uh, and do theater. Mm -hmm. uh, and also uh, inspired and challenged me to do what I was passionate about. So, you know, I was writing musicals in high school because we were encouraged to do so. You want to do it? Go do it. Mm -hmm. um, and so I had a real love of theater uh, and music, but didn't really have an idea about what I wanted to do in college. Uh, and uh, we used to have these uh, college fairs where actual representatives would come from the different universities. And I just happened to go to one for Carnegie Mellon that day and realized it's two and a half hours from where I lived. Mm -hmm. And decided, I took it home, I took the pamphlet, because back there there was no internet. I took the pamphlet home to my mom, and she said, well, let's go on one of the visiting days. And I went on one of the visiting days, fell in love with the, uh, the program, the, the campus. Uh, and then I went into uh, New York City for the very first time the following year and auditioned uh, there uh, and spent my years at Carnegie Mellon and then moved to New York and started working. Uh, so that's kind of the short version of how things happen. But it was all because through through the formative years of my life, from even elementary school, growing up in a very musical family, but also growing up in a school system that supported the arts, that really laid the foundation for my love and respect for what we do as artists. And I'd love to hear a little bit about some of the post-collegiate, you know, um, how you got into vocal arranging, how you got, I mean, obviously, you know, the the fantastic acting career, I think we can see, but how'd you get into some of these other, you know, what we call them the multi-hyphens of the, all the different hyphens mm -hmm. of, of that, along with actor slash vocal arranger slash teacher slash, how'd you get all mm -hmm. those, those additional slashes? Well, um, I grew up in church. My stepfather was a minister, my grandfather a minister, all my mom, my sister, my brother, my grandmother, all play piano and I play piano as well. So I grew up in this very musical family, but my uncle was also a musical director for musicals. So he would come and stay with us every summer and do local um, performances. And so he would take me to, you know, um, national touring companies, uh, productions downtown. He would take me to rehearsals of the shows he worked on. Um, and so I was surrounded by uh, all of these musicians. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, like I said, in high school, I, I was encouraged by Vince and our other theater director to write. Uh -huh. I was always curious about how the, the things that I was hearing, why I felt something from hearing a song or a choral arrangement in a particular way. And so I was always kind of, you know, as I was training as a piano player, I was also uh, ex experimenting with, you know, 
chords and what made you feel something from when mm -hmm. you heard it. And so, but I never looked at writing or arranging as something that I wanted to do. And then um, in college, I played for musical director at the gospel choir at Carnegie Mellon. And then when I got to New York, I arrived during the height of the AIDS epidemic and uh, wanted to do something for our community that centered healing. And I believed in the um, healing power of gospel music mm. outside of the religious dogma. And so I brought together 11 Broadway performers to do a benefit for Broadway Cares, Equity Fights AIDS, as an evening of gospel music. And it was people like Alice Ripley, Adrian Lennox, um, Billy Porter. Um, and it was such a healing space for uh, our community that it became an annual event for Broadway Cares. And through doing that, I had to like, you know, hone my skills in mm -hmm. arranging and transcribing and all of those things uh, that I did had no, had no, you know, I didn't think I would make a living from it. It was just something I did for the choir. And mm -hmm. then from that came, you know, well, we need to arrange some things. We need to write some things. We need, you know, and so I sort of fell into a skill that I had been already cultivating as a child out of the necessity for the choir. Mm -hmm. And from that, I started to compose and to arrange uh, and continue to do so today. That's so cool. It's so cool that you sort of, the seeds of that enfranchisement, you sort of lay at the high school, you going, yes, I'm going to say yes to this. And then that enabled mm -hmm. you even later to keep doing that. Um, let's right. get into Michigan a little bit. So again, uh, you know, they, we've heard Mark talk a little bit about Michigan too, but I, I'm ask you some of the same questions because I'd kind of love to hear your perspective on you know, what you think it means to be a University of Michigan student, as you've seen it so far, you know, what qualities mm. differentiate them from maybe some other BFA hopefuls as they're entering school? Well, you know, I've, I've, had, I've had an interesting background because, as you said, I went to Carnegie Mellon, and then I was a part of the faculty that started the new studio on Broadway uh, musical theater program undergraduate drama at NYU. And now I'm at University of Michigan. Uh, so I have a pretty good perspective on each of the programs. So your, your current partner is always the prettiest. Right? <laughs> it's got to be, always. What I um, recognize here uh, is that there is a real emphasis put on artists who are critical thinkers, mm -hmm. uh, who are um, academically and civically minded, uh, community driven, uh, who also want a conservatory style training uh, in musical theater. Mm -hmm. um, and that, of course, as you said, includes dance, acting, and singing, uh, but also have a really robust academic schedule. Mm -hmm. um, so coming here, you have to understand that as robust the, as the training is, <laughs> your academics have to be at that place as well. Yeah. Um, and what I always uh, try to uh, communicate to prospective students, but also to our students here, is that there is a wealth, there are a wealth of opportunities here at the University of Michigan as a um, R1 research facility, uh, university. Um, so the temptation is wanting to do it all. Uh -huh. And so I'm really trying to communicate to my students that instead of doing the 20 things that you could possibly do, okay, 
why don't you focus on doing those five things really, really well? Mm -hmm. And so that's uh, usually the, the challenge here is that there's such a wealth of opportunities across our university to do any and everything you could possibly think of uh, that it's really about honing in on centering the, the training, taking the courses that you need to take uh, and kind of experimenting with, oh, that interests me, I'll take that, yep. but not trying to do everything. Yep. Um, which is hard coming out of a pandemic where for a year and a half you couldn't do anything. Uh -huh. And what do you? What about the specific with the acting, singing, dance training? How, how do you feel like uh, um, your students over the course of the four years? Uh, how are they changed? What are the, What skills are they gaining? You know, it's maybe as, as differentiates them from some other programs. What is Michigan if you're focusing on one of the three disciplines, or you know, where are are you maybe training students that maybe is different than other programs? Well, um, we uh, have a strong, because we came out of a, the School of Music, it was at the time the School of Music here, now School of Music, Theater, and Dance. Uh, so there's a real emphasis, spe specifically in the first two years, on some of the musicianship skills, mm -hmm. right? Uh, making sure that you're having sight reading, music theory, piano, um, musicianship, uh, all of those kinds of uh, skill-based courses that are necessary uh, and will serve you in every aspect of the industry from auditions to being in, in new shows and rehearsals, making sure student, that our students have those skills. There's also a great emphasis put on the history of our art form uh, and courses that you take in that. Uh, and then in addition, the acting, uh, vocal performance and uh, dance courses. But really in those first two years, real emphasis is put on skills, mm -hmm. having a really strong musical skill set. Okay, I'm gonna ask you my first of a couple difficult questions now, um, um, which is just talking about changes. So so uh, uh, what changes have you made so far and, and or are you thinking about planning to make? Or, you know, if there, I know sometimes this stuff takes time. So are there any little shifts and new directions that the boat is gonna start steering in um, as you sort of move into 2023? You know, coming out of the pandemic, we saw, first on the macro, what was happening in our world, because we couldn't escape it. It was, we were all quarantined. Mm -hmm. We saw what was happening in our industry. And then in, on the micro, we were, students were looking at what was happening in their communities within um, the universities across this country. And so this idea of what it means to step back into artistic practice, understanding, for me, understanding uh, the importance of diversity, equity, inclusion, accessibility, and belonging, and how that integrates as opposed to walking side by side, mm -hmm. but how are we integrating those practices, those structures into artistic training? So that's been a passion of mine for a few years. Um, and so when I look at, for example, what our season is, what I really tried to do this year and be really intentional about was celebrating the diverse lived experiences within our student body. Mm -hmm. So in choosing our season, that was a focus, right? So our, we opened in the fall with Sophisticated Ladies, uh, the music of Duke Ellington. We had Mercedes Ellington, Duke Ellington's granddaughter, granddaughter, come here and talk about the history of the show. She was in the original cast on Broadway, you know, making sure the students are having access to the people uh, that created these art forms. Mm -hmm. um, and then we did uh, Bernardo Alba, Michael John Lacusa, uh, really exploring the Spanish uh, town and flamenco and 
this all female identifying cast. Uh, and then uh, we are doing The Importance of Being Earnest uh, in February, and then we're closing the season with Rent. Uh, to really look at, you know, how we're celebrating the population that we have here through the, mm -hmm. um, through, through the uh, selections we make for performances. So that was one. The other was uh, a couple other things that we did uh, starting last year is I created and helped to develop, it was already in place, but really trying to really structure it more, the uh, affinity group for students of color. And then also creating a students in solidarity group for our students who are not students of color to be able to engage in conversations, trainings mm -hmm. around uh, privilege, fragility, uh, and what it means to stand in allyship uh, so that we are not putting that work on one population of, of students, but that all of us are realizing we have work to do and how can we create a space where that work can be done. Um, and so uh, that was another thing that continues and moves forward now. Uh, we just finished uh, our first New Works initiative, uh, New Works Festival. And you know, is it, you, you know, it is absolutely essential that uh, artists stepping into the industry know how to work on new material mm -hmm. because that's a big bulk of the work that you'll do. Uh, and so what we did was we got a great uh, two donors that gave us funds and uh, we brought five creative teams. We flew them in, we put them in residence for a week and every student in our department was cast in one of these shows hmm. that centered a diverse lived experience and worked with creatives who shared their identity or racial or ethnic identity. Um, and uh, at the end of the week, we shared the material. So the students were getting the opportunity to understand how to connect uh, with creatives, collaborate, what is the actor's responsibility uh, to new work, uh, but also centering it in diverse lived experiences meant that we had to really grapple with a lot of questions around what these rooms would look like. Mm -hmm. uh, and on that Sunday, which was two weeks ago, it was it, it surpassed every hope that I had uh, for our department and for our students and for our community. Um, and, and another in initiative that I started last year that will happen again in March is Community Weekend. And what I do is I bring in six BIPOC artists who are leaders in either on Broadway or in their fields to give masterclasses in things that, like West African dance, salsa, uh, Broadway styles, uh, Shakespeare to August Wilson, you know, so that our students are uh, being exposed to and connecting with um, artists in, in spaces that they that may challenge them a bit. Uh, so once again, everything is through the lens of how are we integrating mm -hmm. diversity, equity, inclusion through a lens of artistic training. Um, and then on, the, on top of that, the trainings that we have in DEI. We have a very robust um, DEI office here in the School of Music, Theater, and Dance. Uh, and so uh, there are many trainings offered for faculty, for students um, that happen all year round. And so making sure that we're connected to that office. Also, uh, and lastly, we um, wanted to mirror the industry. So we started last year having an intimacy director on any show that had any kind of physical contact and also cultural sensitivity uh, coordinator for uh, material that uh, deals with any kind of racial, ethnic, gender identity, uh, so that we're really mirroring what's happening in our industry and preparing our students to be able to use those tools as they uh, move through and matriculate through here 
but also into the professional world. Well, if that was a tough question, boy, was that a great answer. So they're only going to have to get harder. Mm. Speaking of difficult, though, I just is taking over a program that is already so prestigious. Um, mm-hmm. Is that does you, is that something that you feel like it's been a challenge? Like I think sometimes with you know I talk to a lot of people who are starting new programs or really really starting a new direction of a program that's not as well heard of, and they often have lots of room for creativity and full innovation. And here's a big budget and, and figure it out, right? Are, do you mm-hmm. feel any kind of resistance, um, you know, from uh, the sort of the establishment of this uh, university or just even internally of like, hey, this ship that has been doing really well and that people, you know, people have heard of Michigan and they certainly want to go to the school already. Do you feel any of that sort of like pressure of this as a, you know, already well-known institution? Well, um, what I've tried to do and what I, you know, academia is its own special space. Uh, so what I've learned both through trial and error and also from mentors and supporters uh, who, have worked, who have been in roles of leadership is that communication, buy-in are essential, hmm. right? Um, so making sure that I'm always in conversation with um, thought partners here and stakeholders that are you know integral to the department, also with staying in communication with my dean, uh, staying in, in communication with our DEI office, um, and trying to uh, offer a space of where we can communicate about things. But the buy-in, whenever you're trying to shift something, uh, especially within you know academia, um, it's a it's a hard turn and. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it has to be done with care and respect for people's contributions, um, but also a shared vision. Uh, you know, I think what's interesting about this moment is there was such a huge shift post-COVID mm-hmm. that we had to you know, step up. Mm-hmm. But that's one thing is to step up in a moment of crisis, and the other is to step up and continue that work once things have settled. And I think we see that happening in our industry, this kind of, can't we just get back to, but there really isn't a back to, it's only mm-hmm. forward. And so how are we making sure that these shifts that were created during crisis have deep roots and really become centered in our mission and vision of how we train young, young artists to step out into the industry, to be prepared for the industry, but also with the tools to be change makers for the industry. So. Um, to, to sort of circumvent your question, <laughs> um, it really is about buy-in for me. It's about communication uh, and buy-in and making some mistakes and figuring out how to both receive and extend grace in those moments. Yeah. I mean, that word shared vision is so smart. I mean, in terms of, it seems like that's some of what your your job as a leader is, is to make the vision shared if it's not fully shared or get on or help people get on board or get on board with other people yeah. who are trying to, you know, um, I mean, so we do in the theater so often, right? You listen to a director and say, what are we, what story are we telling? Or we're putting the scene mm-hmm. together. Right. I'd love to talk a little bit about just the preparation for the kind of launch into the business, you know, what has been showcased, but especially in the past couple of years, you know, as you do more digital preparations and different things of, you know, how are you adjusting, especially as someone who is so connected to the industry, how, what are you bringing to the university of going, how do I prepare my 22 year olds actually, you know, so, so they've already been doing well with getting jobs and stuff, but, but how am I going to prepare them for what is the, the business of 2023? Well, that's a great, great question. Um, I'll talk about it from a couple of different perspectives. One 
is the audition process that we do for our season. We've now made the initial audition part self-tape. Mm-hmm. Um, so students now for our season have to do their first audition from home. They get the materials, they self-tape, and then those are submitted. So they have to go through that whole process because it is essential that they know how to do that because I do think that our, our industry, that's not going to go away. Um, for many reasons, um, it is, it's here to stay. So I want our students to be facile in that, in that skill. Mm-hmm. One of the things I've been hearing is you do make three. You know, the first one is the practice. The second one is the one. And the third one is just to play. But um, what I do tell them, when you get to five, six, seven takes, now you're, you're, you're into the space of, you know, diminishing returns. Uh, so that's one thing that we're doing. Uh, the other is it's always been important to us as a department uh, to continue building bridges to the industry. So we have this thing that uh, the chair curates called uh, Monday Labs. It's a time when the entire department it gets together and we have a guest. That guest is usually someone, um, it can be a casting director, it can be an agent, it can be a manager, it can be a producer, it can be a creative. And so what usually happens is that we fly them in. We have this wonderful organization here called the Friends of Musical Theater who are very supportive of us. And so they uh, they give us the support we need in order to do these things because they value them as well. Uh, and we also have another group called Working in the, uh, Working in the Theater Lab, which are a group of parents support. Uh, and so we bring in someone, I choose. So what happens is they get here on a Sunday evening on Monday morning, students have signed up, seniors have signed up for 15-minute meetings. So each senior gets a 15-minute meeting with this guest. They come prepared, asking questions. And then at 4.30, uh, the guest comes into a, um, the lab with all of the students and faculty. And four students from the senior class have been chosen ahead of time to prepare and share material and get feedback. And so that we're getting our seniors over the course of a semester, over a year, in front of these professionals that they will be seeing mm-hmm. uh, when they get to showcase. Uh, and also, it allows us to stay connected uh, to the industry. Uh, so like, for example, last year, we had Audrey McDonald was here. Uh, Kristen Chenoweth did a workshop. Um, Andre DeShields did a, was here for the Brent Wagner Speaker Series. Uh, we had Mike, uh, Christopher Wielden here this year, uh, who did a masterclass, um, and we have Felicia Rashad coming. We have Wilson Cruz coming next week, and then we also have this thing called New Music Mondays that um, Professor Lynn Shakel uh, curates, where she gets a composer, mm-hmm. and it's usually on Zoom, and some of the students learn the material, and there's a conversation. We had Michael R. Michael R. Jackson here, um, and so. Once again, it's about getting our students connected to the people that they're going to be in standing in rooms in front of um, and also making sure that their skills for auditioning, for preparing cuts, for communicating with these industry professionals, uh, that they have those skill sets. Uh, so we have a real commitment to making sure they're prepared in that way. I love it. Um, now, I'm curious, you mentioned a little bit of this from your personal experience. You know, you've taught at two schools that were like standouts, I think, in the musical theater world in terms of their educational focus, in terms of, you know, while they still have rigorous conservatory style elements, but really an emphasis on the liberal arts at both Michigan and and NYU compared to other programs like your own 
you went to a very conservatory focused Carnegie Mellon, right? Where do mm-hmm. you kind of see the balance and or value of that, you know, for the Michigan students, for your NYU students, and then from your own experience of Carnegie Mellon, where do you see the the sort of balance of how much liberal arts is doable and works for you? And, you know, how do you feel about, about the what it brings that they are able to maybe do a minor or even a double major um, academically? I think it brings an ability to think critically. It um, brings, uh, it expands their world, you know, because we are, we're a pretty small department um, compared to others, some other programs as compared to NYU. So taking courses outside of the department means their world expands. And as we know, knowing the world in which we live is part of the tool that we need in order to tell the stories we tell. Um, our students are very interested and in things outside of the arts. So to have that opportunity to, uh, to, um, use those, you know, academics, you know, muscles to take things that you're interested in, I think is important. I think today, um, is very different from when I was a student in that students recognize they need more skill sets. Mm-hmm. You talk about multi-hyphenate and all of those things that they are much more hungry to have and have been socialized to have, you know, be able to access and have access to many different spaces. Once again, it's, I feel like it's my, my calling to make sure that it's, they're getting that, which is absolutely important, but that they're fine tuning it so that they're not doing too mm-hmm. much. Um, but I think being a critical thinker um, is essential, essential. Being a person who has, thinks in an imaginative way um, that understands the world in which we live and has a hunger to understand the history of the world in which we, uh, that, that from the past, so that we don't continue to make the same mistakes and do the same things over and over again. And those are the kinds of, you know, besides from the stories we tell, that's the kind of experiences that they're getting uh, across this campus, mm-hmm. outside of the department. I love it. Um, we're going to cue to a short break, run an ad or two. And on the back end, we're going to talk a little bit about the audition and admission process for Michigan. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, we are back with Michael McElroy, and we're talking a little bit about how to get into the University of Michigan, which so many of our students um, uh, will ask. Uh, I just love to talk about maybe, you, know, you mentioned the different phases um, in the uh, course of, of auditioning for shows when you're in school. Maybe let's start with the kind of pre-screen process. You know, mm-hmm. if a student is submitting a video audition for Michigan, which they're going to start with a pre-screen, 
what are you sniffing for as you're narrowing down? Right. So you got to be narrowing down from a lot to not a lot. What are the things that you're really looking for that are that are making that narrowing process happen? First, um, I want to say that those videos that they make for the pre-screen are important and that all of them are watched. I read essays. I mean, so every part of that is important. Don't think that it's something that we're not paying attention to because we are. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's an opportunity to get to know you, to get to know you as an artist and also to get to know you as a human being. So um, when choosing material, uh, make sure you're choosing material that speaks to you, that speaks to your strengths, that uh, allows us to learn about what you're passionate about through the material that you've chosen. I think in this time now, uh, lots of opportunities for students to be given material, um, but it really has to speak to you. Uh, And so choosing choosing songs, monologues, that really you're you're passionate about the composer or the writer uh, and uh, make sure that, that that's a part of the selection process. Um, so I think that's important. Uh, and so, because as we're looking through them, we're looking at every video that you've created and, uh, we're really looking to see who you are. Also, we're looking to see, is there the the talent that you have, but also is there potential, Mm -hmm. right? And if you're inspired by the material, then we're going to be inspired by the material that you choose. Uh, so that's the first thing. Um, And then from that, we go to the audition in person process and we do, we really go out, go out of our way to really make sure that students feel comfortable, their parents feel comfortable. We have at the beginning of the morning, you know, we have some students who are in the program come and I, I leave the room for 20 minutes and they can talk to the students. Then our students also serve as monitors, hall monitors, so they can talk to parents, they can talk to students, you know, during the course of the audition. I speak to the parents and students, faculty come in and do a Q&A, you know, so we really want to make sure that they're getting a sense of who we are, what, what our mission is, our vision is, uh, what we value uh, as an artistic training program within this university. Uh, and then in the room, it's about making sure the students feel comfortable so they can do their best work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I try to remind them of the joy <laughs> of sharing what you love to do and that this should be a joyful experience because you're going, you're actually auditioning for schools where you're going to be doing this for four years. Mm-hmm. So it should be a joyful thing uh, and trying to get them relaxed enough to really share so that we can get a good sense of who they are. Sometimes we'll ask for another piece of material. Sometimes we'll have a conversation. Sometimes we'll just say thank you because we've seen everything we wanted to see. But always students should know when they leave our room, no matter how the remaining part after they've done their pieces is gone, we would never let someone leave without having seen everything that we want to see, mm-hmm. right? And then when it comes to forming a, a, a cohort, you know, it's looking at everything, you know, uh, across the board. So, And how much do you feel like, it's a question I ask a lot of our teachers, is how much do you feel like fits into that, you know, in the final decision of a yes or no, is it more likely about, the most talented student? Is it, you know, almost like if you were give a numerical value to the most talent you see versus more of that intangible of like, 
I really want to work with this student. I really like the human being they are, the artist, you know, more of the interview questions, adjustment, you know, the other side of things. How much fits more into the one camp versus the other? It's really a com combination, you know. Um, there has to be talent, but the talent is at different levels. You know, sometimes you'll get a really amazing dancer who has potential as a singer, but that's what they're coming to get that training. And mm -hmm. I've seen, you know, young students come in here as dancers first, leave here with real strong vocal technique and skills um, and acting skills uh, to um, that now are equal to their dance skills that continue to evolve and to get better. Uh, so if you can't do all three things, that's not something we go, oh, we don't uh -huh. want you. It really is looking at where the strengths are, the potential is within each of those disciplines. And from our experience in the room with them, I think it's important that there be people that we're like, okay, that's someone who has potential and that we think this will be a good place for them based on the information that we have. Mm -hmm. I think too often students get caught up in the place where they're told they're supposed to go because of whatever the reputation is. But every program is not for every student. And so in this process to look at um, where am I going to thrive? Where am I going to be challenged? You know, what kind of college experience do I want? Do I want campus life mm -hmm. or do I want to be in a city? I mean, all of those things should play into as well as is this a large program, smaller program? Am I going to get more one-on-one -on -one attention? Is it a conservatory style program or more of a BA? I mean, all of those things need to be considered as opposed to that's the program mm -hmm. that I'm told I'm supposed to be at. Mm -hmm. And, you know? are, are and you, I, would, I, would, I always encourage students to, 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 to think about those, those, those questions. Totally. And are you consciously looking for a diversity of skill set? Like, are you specifically looking for, I want some amazing dancers who aren't as strong vocally, and I want some amazing singers who maybe aren't? Or is it just about all the interesting artists that you can find and likely that they will shake out that way? Or, or is there a consciousness to say, I want some who are stronger and some and some are stronger than other things? I think it, it depends on the group of auditioners that year. You know what I mean? It just, but you do want students that are going to challenge each other mm -hmm. in the most positive way, not in a, not in a competitive way, but I know that sometimes having someone who's a stronger dancer in the room with me gives me something to work towards. Right. Yes. Um, so we want a well-rounded diverse group, diverse levels of, but talent and potential, mm -hmm. right, have to be there. And then it's about, is this someone that I think I have something to offer to mm -hmm. as a teacher, right? Uh, all of those things, uh, is this a person I'm going to be excited to teach? And will they, do I think I can offer something to them, right? Yep. Uh, so we try to look at it from all of those different angles. I know you mentioned this earlier, um, it, but both not only with your, you have your own vocal expertise, but that, you know, the Michigan, you know, being within the school of music, at least as it was, and, and has done more to kind of, certainly we've seen over the past, has done more to test students musically than some other musical theater schools, right? Maybe exploring their voice more in an audition, maybe interested in more of their musical skill sets. Um, I, I'd love to know, like, what are you listening for? in a student's like musicality or their musical skill set, if there is any kind of test to go, what can they do? What knowledge do they have? You know, what are you sort of exploring in that, in that area? Well, I mean, there are the obvious things, uh, the, the, the pitch, right? 
Um, just that that's a technical thing of just, you know, where are they centered in their pitch? And then I'm looking at, for me, because I come from an acting-based musical theater program, I'm looking for can they, do they have some kind of glimmer or spark of understanding of how storytelling, mm -hmm. of musicality on a line or phrasing, right? Um, are they exploring that the, the song, though these are cuts, has a beginning, middle, and end? Um, you know, all of the things that will be explored in the training, are there glimmers of it there? Along with the obvious things of, you know, you got to be able to sing in tune, you know, but other things, that, that are they already kind of bubbling there, hmm. you know, in terms of uh, the kinds of ways in which we're going to be training them once they get here. Uh, and sometimes I'll offer an adjustment, you know, try it this way. And the adjustment will be something really random and seems really kind of, you know, off the beaten path. But then I, I, I just want to see how does it, is this student curious? Mm -hmm. Is this student open? Or is this, or is this the only thing that they know how to do because this is the way they've been coached to do uh -huh. it? And, or are they curious enough to be able to go, I can throw that away and just try something really crazy in the moment, right? Uh -huh. All those things matter. Um, I mean, I'll ask you the probably only kind of technical or more granular question, just about the the pre-screen. You mentioned you read all of the essays. Um, what mm -hmm. about, you know, those, there's a couple like optional, they have the optional ballet section. They also can do these video responses where they have to, you know, answer questions, right? Yes. Um, how does that factor into the, the admission process? Well, it's an opportunity for us to get to know them as a human being, right? The material, the you know, the songs, the monologues, uh, it will show us their skill set and their potential and their talent. But when they do their wildcard video, for example, and they do something about a service organization they're involved in, some people do like a cooking thing. You know, we are allowed to see who they are as a human being. Uh, and then if they, uh, you know, when they answer one of the you know questions, you know, and talk about something they're passionate about that's not theater, that allows us to see them as a, a whole human being, uh, as opposed to just through the lens of the important lens of the the art. Mm -hmm. And would you generally feel like those optional videos are less optional for you? Would you want someone to do it? Or if someone doesn't do it, are you like, oh, no, that's fine. They just chose not to do that video. Well, it's all their choice. But whatever they submit, I watch it all. We okay. watch it all. You mentioned, um, you know, some of your work in the EDIB world, you know, the head of diversity mm -hmm. initiatives at NYU. Um, I just love to talk a little bit about like, how have you seen, you, know, you mentioned it sort of coming out of crisis in the sort of COVID George Floyd era. How have you seen that conversation shift? And, you know, how, how have things changed from what you've seen in the collegiate world generally? And then I guess what are, are the next steps for Michigan and, and or do you sort of see for the larger collegiate world and industry? What are those next steps to sort of solidify it beyond just a, a blip in a crisis? Um, I think... I think that we have to continue to um, deepen the roots of the work that began during the shutdown for our community, for the theater industry. Here, it's about continually offering opportunities for students to get comfortable with the discomfort that comes from growth. That in some ways is easier to articulate when it comes to artistic practice, though it's still challenging, but when it comes to conversations around race and identity and, and gender, those are much more complicated questions for us to navigate, but are essential 
to building a community where all feel that they can are seen and can thrive. Uh, and so constantly having those com uncomfortable conversations, mm -hmm. I tried to message from the time that I got here, this idea of grace and how we offer each other grace in those moments uh, as we step into uncomfortable conversations. And then how can I continue to support our faculty and students, our community, in gaining the tools to really deepen these initiatives that started a couple years ago. Um, and to start to think that way, think as you step into your, your pedagogical practice, your curriculum, your repertoire that you use for your classes, um, the shows that we uh, choose to um, for our, our season, uh, the guests that we bring in to direct and choreograph our shows, all of those things can be intentional spaces where we deepen the diversity, equity, and inclusion work, the community weekend that we do, where I bring in BIPOC artists. All of those things are ways through the art that we are able to continue to uh, keep in the forefront this idea of how representation matters, how a diversity of thought, identity, experience matters, because it, it challenges us and it expands our way of thinking. I think there's this idea in the theater world that because we're in theater, we're all these open-minded, mm -hmm. you know, uh, liberal human beings. And that's not always the case. We come from all over the country with all these different value systems and have been socialized in different ways and all over the world. Uh, so that we continue to create a baseline of understanding, right? So that we are all on the same page around what these things, these ideas, these initiatives mean to us as a community. So that as we move forward, we know how to expand them. We know not only what to do to make sure that they are being implemented, but what do we do when we mess up? Mm -hmm. Having a structure in place for healing so that we're, when there is an issue, grace is offered and also there's a, a support for a way to move forward and heal the community and that we don't get stopped or stuck at the point of injury and that that become the last mm -hmm space that we encounter because then we never move forward it's so beautifully said i i do feel like comfort in the discomfort is good advice for an artist kind of in all mm -hmm. ways that like as soon yeah. as you become comfortable boy the art it's just hard hard yeah. to keep making art right that art is not but you don't grow yeah there's no growth yeah um i would love to end on just a little bit of advice um, for the young artists, and we'll maybe say the parents also of this young artist who has listened to this mm -hmm. whole episode. They've heard you say yeah. Michigan is not the only school for them, but they don't believe mm -hmm. you. They're desperate to go to mm -hmm. Michigan. This is this is their only <laughs> option. It's the only they'll never be happy if they don't go to this specific school. Um, mm -hmm. What advice would you have to them for them? You know, um, it doesn't have to be just about them not getting. It could be about they could get in. But but you know, what advice for that student who's just listening at sixteen, seventeen, and goes, I just want. I want to go blue. That's what I want. Um, how are they going to make that happen for themselves? Well, there are a couple things. One, which I say in my talk every week when I see prospective students when they come here to audition, our industry, the, the audition time frame that you'll be in for the next couple months, just like in our industry, you're going to hear no. Mm -hmm. And that we have to get used to hearing the word no and it not being a reflection of our self-worth or our talent as artists, right? Um, and so one of the things I try to message is that no cannot be the, um, 
the scale by which you measure your self worth. Mm-hmm. Um, because then it, you're, it, it, you'll always be dependent on someone giving you a job or getting you into their program for you to feel good about yourself. And this industry, as we know, the the, the journey is not straight; it is up and down. Mm-hmm. Uh, so getting used to hearing the word no, and also knowing that that is not a reflection of your talent and not a reflection of, uh, of your worth. Uh, that's one thing for the parents. I, I always ask them to do their due diligence around financial aid. When your son or daughter, and I'm speaking in binary terms and I don't want to make sure that uh, your child, and that's even complicated to say because they're teenagers. Okay. So when your teenager is auditioning for um, a program in a university or a college. Know as much about the financial process before they audition. So know what the federal supports are. Know what the scholarship uh, supports are within that institution because every institution is different, mm-hmm. right? Because once the student comes, once the student auditions and gets accepted, and then the financial aid process starts and you're surprised, mm-hmm. it's pretty hard to say no to your child then. So I encourage parents to learn. You can reach out to the financial aid offices, the um, admissions office of the, you know, to find out what is the process. Mm-hmm. Here's where we sit financially. What would that look like for my child if they got into this program? So that you are doing the work ahead of time to make sure this is something that you can afford for four years mm-hmm. and is not meaning that you take a second mortgage out on your home, right? To really be practical and really pay attention to those things ahead of time. Uh, so that's another thing I talk about. I also say, you know, we're not just auditioning the student. The student should be auditioning us. They should be auditioning every program that they go to. How the admissions folks treat you. When you, when, you, when you come to the audition? How do the monitors treat you? How do the faculty treat you when you come into the room? How do you deal with the accompanist? All of those things are giving you clues about what that experience will be like. So flip the, the thought process from the fact that we're um, auditioning you and, and flip it in a way that it's giving us shared responsibility in mm-hmm. that, right? And lastly, we have a problem to solve. <laughs> we need to build a cohort for that incoming class. So every student that comes in the room, we are rooting for you to be the solution to our problem. Mm-hmm. So never look at us as the enemy on the other side of the table, but we are always rooting for you to do your best work because then you help us solve the problem that we have. So those are just a couple of the things that I try to articulate to students and. Uh, prospective students and to faculty, uh, to families when they come to um, to our, our university. Michael, you have been an inspiration. This was such a, a joy to get to chat with you. I really appreciate the time. Thank you so much. Well, hey now. Uh, I hope you enjoyed listening to the inimitable Michael McElroy. I could listen to that mellifluous voice for hours, and even better that it is coupled with such wisdom and grace. Um, I will say, for those who didn't catch that Brandon Victor Dixon episode, which was right before this one, um, I talked a lot about grace um, since Brandon had brought it up in the episode, and also partially because I had just recorded this one. Uh, and listening back to Michael, it just struck me as 
such an appropriate word to celebrate for him as I think his words and his voice and his essence just ooze grace. Um, in Brandon's episode, I talked a bit about the power of grace as an artist and how you move through the world and as well as some of these difficult conversations. So feel free to listen back to that. Um, I think it's a great episode in general, but also we talk a little bit about grace, um, which I, I, a word I, I put on Michael um, uh, as a great, one of the greatest compliments you can give to someone. Um, I also think that ties in well with the takeaway I want to do for this week, which is some, something Michael talked about and he certainly wasn't the first to bring up this concept in that you are auditioning them as much as they are auditioning you, right? Especially this time of year, you'll notice for those seniors who are auditioning in the midst of their big audition season, you're going to kind of be able to tell that a lot of these takeaways will tie into how you can find that quiet confidence, that self-assuredness to walk into the room and be the best artist you can be. Um, everyone kind of finds their way to that differently, but it is such an, uh, an essential auditioning skill. Um, so I wish it for all of you. Um, you know, it's the reason actors always audition better when they already have a job or maybe when they aren't that interested in the job they're auditioning for. They go, man, that just went really well. Um, you know, it's the reason in this process we often talk about how walk-ins can go so well because the stakes are low and you're able to walk in as an artist and just work on your craft with these strangers, right? And also in a walk-in, we talk about auditioning them. You are literally auditioning them as much, you know, because you don't know that much about them, right? You might have known where the school is or whatever, but you're you're sitting there to go, hey, so tell me about you. Well, I've never heard of you program. And the onus is really more on the school to pitch you about the program and, you know, to work with you, talk with you, et cetera, because they're hoping if they want you to actually apply to the school that, you know, you'll have a good experience in the audition, right? But if you can bring this same attitude of like, oh, I'm here to see what happens, right? If you can bring the same attitude into your Michigan audition or whatever audition it is that's like the higher stakes for you, it will serve you so much better for those auditions, right? The way that you can have a genuine conversation with that walk-in school, you want to be just as curious and open to what the experience of a Michigan audition might be as well, as opposed to going, I hope I control it and hope it goes exactly this way, right? If you, if you come in with them already on a pedestal, you actually make it very difficult for them to come down and meet you as a collaborator. And by the way, some of that is okay, right? Some of this is their job too, as they know you're teenagers and that the stakes may be high for you, right? You heard Michael talking about the ways in which they try to lower the stakes and they really try to make sure you feel comfortable because of course they want to meet your best artist self as well. They don't want to meet your representative or your nervous self or, you know, the person who's in the way of themselves. They want to meet the best artist, you know, the best version of you as possible. But if you can try with all of your might to be an active participant in that process of stakes lowering, right, to actively meet them at the level of a collaborative artist, even though one of the artists, of course, is a little bit younger than the others, right? But if you can, can participate in that process, you're going to have such a more rewarding experience. We've made the analogy of auditioning and dating a lot, and I think it works well in so many ways. Um, you know, one of the pieces you often get when dating is to try to be more interested than interesting, right? It's another way of saying, you know, you're auditioning them too, right? This is in the dating world, right? We naturally become more attractive in our curiosity and pursuit of a genuine experience than we do if we're trying to show off and just be amazing. Like, look at me talking about my job and how amazing I am, right? Of, of course, that's not to say that you're not going to strive for excellence in your work, right? So in the monologues and the songs, of course, you want to do the best job possible. But in that surrounding audition experience, I would just give yourself that little note. Can you listen as much as you talk, right? It can be as simple as like, can you notice the way they say, how are you? And then try to respond in kind, right? They may ask a little question at the top. If they ask you a longer, more complicated question, can you really hear it? 
and think about it and get curious about the question as you respond in kind, as opposed to maybe jumping into your pre-rehearsed stick of like, oh, here's a story I always tell, right? If they give you an adjustment, and this is really hard, can you try to find the bravery to really try that adjustment and genuinely discover what might happen? So be curious about what the result might be as opposed to just showing off how well you can be adaptable. And we talked about adjustments before. Of course, the goal of change is the goal. But there's that even that farther step of going, I'm really going to genuinely try it and see what happens as opposed to I know how this will work and sort of already be, you know, showing off the, the win of the result of what you expect might happen. All of this takes a great deal of confidence and it is all much easier said than done. But some of those tricks, you know, of kind of focusing on something other than yourself, it can help you take a few steps in that direction, right? So you can feel a little more confident, it can lower the stakes a little bit, right? It's not unlike the old public speaking trick of picturing the audience in their underwear, right? If you're focusing on their vulnerability of, oh, look, they're just like me. They also have underwear, I guess, in that analogy. You know, you're not going to drown as much in your own nerves if I've got to give this big speech. And now in this analogy, I do not recommend picturing your auditors in their underwear, but finding that genuine curiosity about what's happening behind the table and what those real human beings are like it will help you not hyper-focus so much on your own audition anxiety, right? And how am I going to do? And how are my monologues going to go? And how are my songs going to go? It can just help lower the stakes a bit for those high-stakes audition. Well, that's it. Another sterling episode of Mapping the College Edition. Please don't forget to subscribe to us in your podcast platform of choice. Follow us on all the socials media. Links are in the show note for there. As well as just scream about this podcast to your friends. Safely scream for the sake of your voices. But but shout about it to your friends. How much you love the pod, please. You can also check us out at mtcollegeauditions.com if you want some individual help for your college edition journey. And if you want to give us a rating and review wherever you're listening, that might be good practice for writing those audition thank you notes and that wonderful follow-up correspondence you hear us talk about but of course it's up to your discretion of course to my young artists out there mapping their journeys every time i say the phrase i'm going to unifieds i feel like i'm breaking some unknown rule of grammar does anyone else feel this way we'll see you next week Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.